0: Yes, we're open. Living Faith with Needham UCC. A sermon podcast from the Congregational Church of Needham, United Church of Christ. Where no matter who you are, or where you are on life's journey, you're invited and welcome. This sermon for Sunday, May 30th, 2021, Trinity Sunday, is entitled, Trinity. It's a reflection on a reading from the Gospel According to John, Chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to learn more about our open and affirming ministry at the Congregational Church of Needham, simply head over to our website, www.needhamucc.org. Thank you. Friends, our scripture reading today comes from the New Testament, from the Gospels. From the Gospel according to John chapter three, verses one through 10. Now, not that any of the Bible is exactly easy to read. After all, it's a text, a collection of texts written thousands of years ago and not to us. It's always something of a miracle when by the power of the spirit, we connect through these ancient words to God's present living word for us today. But the authoring community behind John's gospel makes this particular passage just that much harder by being funny. Funny ha-ha, not funny ooh. Because we all know that humor is notoriously hard to translate. But this text from John hinges on a pun. So I've strayed a bit from the New Revised Standard Version to try and capture that intentional moment of confusion and enlightenment, hiding and revealing of a deep gospel truth. See if you can catch it. So, friends, let's share this reading from John chapter three, verses one through ten. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus a leader of the Jewish people. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being once more from the top What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born once more from the top. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot see it. You do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with anyone and everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Friends, God is still speaking to the world and to us. May our hearts be open to listen and to respond. Amen. In the calendar of holy days developed and shared to various degrees by liturgical churches over the centuries to help guide our reflection on the life of faith. Today, the first Sunday after Pentecost is observed as Trinity Sunday, a day to reflect on the doctrine of Trinity. The idea that our God is one, but not just one, but also three possibly the most confusing, traditionally core concept in our faith. Compared to Trinity, the idea of resurrection seems somehow simple and straightforward. So to help us reflect on this idea the church has held so centrally for so long, I want to invoke another ancient story, that of the blind men and the elephant, because that makes sense, right? Amazing to me, given the oh so Victorian and so often problematic Orientalist, just so story quality of the version with which most of us are likely familiar. It appears this really is an ancient tale and really does come from the cultures of the Indian subcontinent. A version of this story appears in the Buddhist Udana, at least as early as 500 BCE, though its roots may go back almost a thousand years earlier in Hindu tradition. And it appears also in Jainism and Sufi Islam. At some point, the story traveled to Europe and thence to America, where it was set down in verse in this famous 19th century version by Vermonter John Godfrey Sachs. Sachs was raised in a strict Methodist home, but the iconoclastic young man became a popular poet with a particular gift for social satire. The blind men and the elephant would prove to be his most enduring work. Now, given what I have come to understand about the ways blindness has been used historically as an overwhelmingly negative metaphor by sighted communities, Without regard for the experience of folks who actually live with blindness and visual impairment, I'm going to call my retelling of Saxe's retelling the none so blind men and the elephant. As in, there are none so blind as those who will not see. To quote the biblical prophet Jeremiah chapter five, verse twenty-one. So to rely on another sense entirely, let those with ears Here, It was six men of Indistan, to learning much inclined, who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant, and happening to fall against his broad and sturdy side, at once began to bawl, God bless me, but this elephant is very like a wall. The second feeling of the tusk cried, "'Oh, what have we have, what do we have here? So very round and smooth and sharp. To me, tis mighty clear. This wonder of an elephant is very like a spear." The third approached the animal and happening to take the squirming trunk within his hands, thus boldly up and spake, "'I see,' quoth he, "'the elephant is very like a snake.'" Then yada, 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 on and on, each describing, in turn, a tree leg, a fan ear, a rope tail, until. And so these men of Indistan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion exceeding stiff and strong, though each was partly in the right, and all were in the wrong." So what in the world does this mysterious elephant in this story have to do with the historically essential Christian doctrine of Trinity? Well, nothing clearly. But then I think about how much time and energy Christians both scholars and rank and file believers have spent groping about trying to understand and articulate the idea of Trinity and how it may or may not relate to the reality of God's own self, trying to reconcile the seemingly square peg and round hole of one being three and three being one. I mean, the word Trinity doesn't even appear in the Bible. Not once, not three times. Which isn't all that unusual since so much of our faith, both then and now, isn't based solely on the scriptures themselves, but on the practice of reading scripture through and alongside our own lived experience. With, we hope, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. There literally is no such thing as the Bible says, apart from the all too human beings who are saying that. So it is with Trinity. The idea of God's Trinity doesn't derive from scripture. Rather, believers over the centuries have cobbled Trinity together from trunks and tusks and tails of their own real life, often so much larger than life experiences of God. They, we, then use the language of scripture to communicate something of that vision To authorize it. Because let's remember, this is the church we're talking about, both capital C and lowercase c church. And as we all know, when it comes to church, wherever two or three are gathered together, there are at least five opinions among them, among us. And the historical reality is that the early church. Spent most of the fourth century violently convulsing itself, trying to harmonize all of these various versions, all these personal experiences and community traditions, trying to label the elephant in the room or to mix metaphors, to pin the butterfly into the box once and for all. Sadly, and to our shame, they nailed plenty of people down too along the road to orthodoxy and the illusion of uniformity. Enter a laundry list of historical heresies and heretics, that is, losing sides in these theological uncivil wars. Believers in partialism, the Trinity is like an egg, shell, white, and yolk separate parts bound together. And modalism, The Trinity is like water, sometimes solid, sometimes liquid, sometimes gas, depending on the situation. And Arianism, God is God, and Jesus, while certainly much more than human, is still something less than God. And Macedonianism, the same, only this time it's the Holy Spirit who's kicked out of the God gang. And others, so many others. We have firsthand reports of the hurly burly of that historical moment from Gregory of Nyssa, a theologian who was a witness and an influential contributor to those fourth century church councils. He wrote The whole city of Constantinople is full of it. In the squares, in the marketplaces, the crossroads, the alleyways, ragmen, money changers, food sellers, they are all busy arguing. If you ask someone to give you change, he philosophizes about the begotten and the unbegotten. If you inquire about the price of a loaf of bread, you're told by way of reply that the father is the greater and the son inferior. If you ask, is my bath ready? The attendant answers that the son was made out of nothing. Wow, right? Just Wow, it's, it's hard to imagine a deep theological question so captivating, the popular imagination today. Oh, wait. Abortion, queer rights, white supremacy, climate change, our responsibility to the poor, all of these weighty theological issues. I guess it's not so very hard after all. I guess the more things change, the more they stay the same. Well, anyway, the church back then finally arrived at an answer. They crafted a theological formula they believed would solve the problem. Henceforward, the church would affirm and all good Christians should confess that God is three hypostasis, a Greek word originally translated persons in one Usia, usually translated substance. Three hypostasis in one usia. But here's the funny bit, and this is a funny, huh? Those words, hupostasis and usia, and their Latin ver- versions, substantia and persona, we begin to understand. They were synonyms. They could be and often were used interchangeably in the writings of the day. It's as though someone at that long and tumultuous table finally called the question, is God one or is God three? And the exhausted church leaders simply said, yes. But that's crazy. Yes. Yes, it is crazy. Crazy like a fox. It turns out. At its best, this pretzel logic doctrine of Trinity is crazy and creative, inspired and inspiring. Because while the official doctrine of Trinity is a rather ham-fisted attempt to synthesize many different experiences of God across time and space and societies and individuals into one more or admittedly much less coherent version of God, it ensures that there's plenty good room in this silly riddle of a formula, or at least there's supposed to be, and that is by design. Because what the church, at our best moments, has affirmed even more deeply is the idea of Trinity. Is the idea that Trinity itself is a metaphor for the moreness, the more of God. The mix of transcendence and eminence, presence and mystery, hiding and revealing in our experience of God. Like all of our language about God, it's a useful and limited tool. Even the number three in Trinity is itself a metaphor for more. Let that sink in. The doctrine of Trinity shouldn't shut down heartfelt, even heated conversation about God and the consequences of believing this or that about God for our lives and for our neighbor's lives, but rather it should fuel it. That's the whole point. At its best, Trinity draws us into a deeper contemplation of and appreciation for and wonder at God. To borrow and adapt, and I recognize potentially misappropriate the famous Zen koan or paradoxical riddle used to demonstrate the inadequacy of logical reasoning and provoke enlightenment. Contemplating Trinity is a bit like asking, what is the sound of one God clapping? It's an invitation to ponder how it is that God is both near and far powerful and vulnerable, eternal and present, changeless and restless, one and many, in ceaseless relationship. In this way, Trinity is less a noun than a verb, not a living thing like all the other living things we know in our lives, including ourselves, but nonetheless alive and in fact, more alive than we can imagine most days. Gregory of Nanciensis, another famous theological Gregory from that same fourth century period of church councils wrote this about that, no sooner do I conceive of the one than I am illumined by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish them than I am carried back to the one. When I contemplate the three together, I see but one torch and cannot divide or measure out the undivided light. In other words, I don't know, but I feel God. I feel so much God. Not that God is unknowable that should we just we should just stop before we start throw up our hands and shout it's a mystery when we do that it lets all the steam escape before the engine has even had a chance to get going because the whole foundation of our faith and of the bible and most definitely of our peculiar Christi- christian belief that in jesus god shows up among us in the flesh is that god the source, guide, and goal of the entire universe comes to us like the elephant in the story and submits to all our poking and prodding because God wants to be known. God wants us to explore God's own self in the meaning of it all. But the question isn't what God is, so much as how God is and who God is and who we are in relationship with God. When we cry mystery right out of the starting gate, we short circuit that exploration and that relationship. We miss the fact that there are true things we can say about God. God hates sin, for instance and untrue things. God hates sinful people. And that where we draw those lines in the life of God as we imagine it tends to slice and dice people's all too real lives here on earth. It matters. We can know God, just not completely. Not any individual or group of us, certainly no one particular church tradition It's like electrons. The Heisenberg uncertainty principle tells us we can know an electron's position or its velocity, but not both at the same time. Though we can map a kind of cloud of probability around it. So we can't really pin them down like tiny little objects neatly labeled on a museum shelf, but we can experience them at work in the world around us. We can interact with them, which is both useful and awe-inspiring. The warm and fuzzy mystery of the Trinity reminds us that while our reasoning may be limited, is limited, God's capacity for lively and life-giving relationship is limitless and is foundational to the way we view the world and our place in it. Whether we open ourselves to that mystery via the creator, the Christ, or the Holy Spirit, they, our one God, invite us into that relationship, into an intimate intermingling dance of life and death and life beyond death at the very heart of it all that encompasses even us, that draws us out and in. So back to the story. Once each of those, none so blind as those who cannot see, had had their feel of the elephant and their say, of course they fell to arguing. Have you met people? It's a wall, they shouted. It's a snake, I tell you, a rope, a spear. No, you're wrong, wrong, wrong. Then in the midst of their arguing, laughter, clear and high as a bell, And up piped a reedy little voice. You're all wrong, you big bunch of geese. She was laughing at them. Mostly kindly. A little girl who'd been standing there the whole time, unnoticed. Watching them blunder about. It's none of those things. It's an elephant. And... Elephant, they stammered, at last in unison, dumbfounded, and more than a little incensed at her presumption. But how can you, of all people, sweet we're sure, but insignificant as you are, how can you possibly correctly comprehend the enormity of such a thing altogether? At which point the little girl just giggled again and smiled, You don't comprehend it, silly. You marvel at it and you respect it. You even fear it just a little and you enjoy it. And mostly you just let it be. Then she reached into the satchel at her side and produced the mango she'd been saving for her lunch and offered it to the elephant, who reached out at once beautiful and terrifying, muscular and graceful, unlikely and plain as day to receive the gift she gave so freely. And the nuns so blinds could almost swear they saw the elephant smile back. Behold, Trinity. Dear friends, if you have heard the word of God preached here today, remember to give all honor and glory to our one God, Creator, Christ, and Holy Spirit. Amen.